Amen. Amen. So Matthew chapter number five, we're, we're going to be beginning in verse number eight. So Matthew five, verse eight, we're in, like I said, we're in this sermon uh, or Bible study series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew five, six, and seven, this long sermon that the Lord gives. Um, and one of the things that we're doing is we're going through this section called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are where Jesus instructs the church how to have a blessed life. And one of the things that you will notice is he mentions nothing about worldly goods. He mentions nothing about worldly goods. On you, Do you realize that you can have a blessed life no matter what your earthly condition or position is? Because if you're in a heavenly position, it doesn't matter what your earthly condition is. Come on. If you are in Christ, you're in a heavenly position. You are seated at the, with, with the Lord in heaven. You are seated at his throne in Christ. That's what the board declares. So it doesn't matter what, what we go through in this life. The conditions of our life will vary. Some, look at the weather. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes you have more than you need, and sometimes you're barely getting by. But all in all, God is with you to the end. Amen. Amen. God is with you to the end. And one of the things I want you to see as we go through this is that these, these beatitudes have nothing to do with the goods that the world can give you. It mentions nothing about how many horses or cattle or cars. It doesn't say anything about how many jobs you have. It doesn't say anything about how many houses or boats or cars or anything else that's not how you equate God's blessing on someone's life. It is to the detriment of the church world or Christendom that we equate blessing with worldly things. Sometimes people gain worldly things through ungodly means. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to be getting into verse number eight. So um, it says, blessed are the pure in heart. You with me? Verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. They shall see God. So let's look at this for just a couple of things. One thing in particular, that the pure in heart are blessed. Their blessing is they get to see God. One of the things I want you to, as we go through this, is, is, is to understand this concept. When you're not walking in purity, you're not going to see God at work. If you choose to live a defiled life, if you choose to live a defiled life, you're going to miss seeing God when other people see God. And we don't mean see with your eyeballs. We mean seeing by faith because the Bible says no man can see God and live. No mere man has seen God. We, the only way that we could see Jesus is because it was God veiled in flesh. He put himself in flesh for 33 years. But he's so holy that you can't actually see him and live in his glory, in his splendor. When he unveiled a little bit of it, at the, how many of y'all remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration? 
he unveiled a little bit of his glory at the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know what the disciples did? Now, now you don't really understand the implication of this, but if you were at one time involved in Judaism, you would know how profound this was. Peter exclaims, Lord, let's build a temple right here. The temple was the be-all, end-all for Judaism. This is where they meet with God. Peter's ready to build a new temple because he saw a little bit of God's glory right there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was pure and white. It said he was white, white, white. That's the implication. And they were ready to build a new temple. You understand the implication? They would have all, they would have been killed. They would have, you know, tried to kill every single one of them for doing such a thing. But that was in his heart when he saw the beauty of Jesus. So you see, it, it is that beauty that we can get a glimpse of by faith. This is the, the great beauty of the gospel is Jesus told Thomas, whenever Thomas saw Jesus, he said, you know, you're blessed, but more blessed are those that don't see and believe. That's you and me. Jesus said it is more blessed whenever we're on this side of the situation. When we believe by faith, not by eyesight. Amen? And that's the life that we've been called to live. And, and this is the condition. If you will remain pure before God, God will show himself to you. Sometimes people say, I just want to see where, what God's doing in my life. Where is God at? What is God? But they will not separate themselves from the world to approach a holy God. God is still just as holy as he ever has been. When, when Uzziah tried to steady the Ark of the Covenant, God struck him dead because he was coming at God the way God never prescribed. If you try to come at God a way he didn't, didn't give you authority to, right? It doesn't sit well with God. And so God is, is looking for those that are pure in heart. And we're going to unpack this, uh, this purity and how, much, how important it is. And one of the things that we'll, we'll just look real quick at the definition of purity. It'll kind of guide us as we go through this study. Purity uh, defined is uh, clear. This is uh, Webster's Dictionary. I get, get all my definitions, you know. I don't have any super secret hidden book from, you know, I, I get, the, get the very first Webster's Dictionary. It was made in 1828 by a believer, uh, Noah Webster, who preached many great sermons. Get you one of those. But this is what he, his, how pure is defined. Clear, free from mixture. Free, now think about that spiritually, right? Free from mixture. Free from moral defilement without spot, not tarnished, holy. This is a, a, a good working definition that we can get a grasp on for what purity is and understand that this is what, this is the blessing that God will give to someone when you will refuse, now listen to this, to compromise. Because as a believer, you've been called to live a set-apart life. God said in Peter, if you remember this, because sometimes, you know, when you quote an Old Testament, they're like, ah, that's for the Old Testament. But Peter quotes it, right? Peter said, be ye holy. He quoted God, be ye holy, for I am holy, is what God said. God's never stopped being holy. And a lot of times, I just want to tell you this, a lot of times people don't see or feel God because they are are 
not right with God because they are mixed or defiled. Now, this mixing we can talk about, uh, you can get into a lot with that. But there, you know, whenever God's calling you to himself, he calls you out of the world. Calls you out of the world. He calls you out of the world system, and he calls you out of that way of thinking. He calls you out of compromise and to come and live according to his standards. Okay? Now, and there's more into this. There's way more into this because... He's talking about pure in heart. So we're not just talking about the outward actions. We're talking about the inward as well. The inward as well. So whenever you're looking at someone being unmixed or undefiled or set apart or holy, you're also not only talking about the outward actions, but you're talking about the inward as well. So when, when the Lord says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, understand this is a blessing that you can grab tonight. How many, of you, how many, how many times have you been on that situation where you say, I just, I, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. You know, it's, a, it's two short steps. Separate yourself to him. Separate yourself to him and pursue him. By faith. And God is no respecter of persons. God will make himself real to you. And, and, and one of the sad realities is that we, we ebb and flow in our holiness. And then we wonder why we ebb and flow in the presence of God. When God is, is all the time with you, but you're not all the time knowing that he's with you because you're sometimes maybe a little bit mixed up on some stuff or defiled. Now, let's get into this just for a minute about the heart, um, about the heart. Let's get into this. If you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number six. So we're going to go from Matthew five to Luke chapter number six. If you've never been to one of our Bible studies, you got to flip. We let the Bible, right? We let the Bible interpret the Bible. All right, so Luke chapter number six, we're going to go down to verse number 43. <clears throat> so the Lord says here, a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree, somebody say every. There's no exceptions here. Every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. Now, one of the things about every tree is known by its own fruit. When you see, uh, you know, oranges growing on a tree, you know what kind of tree it is. When you see peaches, you know what kind of tree it is, right? You, you, you know what kind of tree it is because you see what's coming off of it. And so... If you look at, in, in, in light of this, the Lord is telling you how to tell when somebody's a false teacher or when somebody's not right with him. The way you can tell is by the fruit of their life. Okay? It, it, it's not so much by what they say. It's by how they live. It's the character or, as the King James Bible says, the conversation of their life. 
You, you can say you're right with God all you want to say it. You can have diplomas behind your name. You can have post hole diggers behind your name. It doesn't matter if the character or the conversation, the way that you live doesn't square with the words coming out of your mouth. You can say the right thing and do something completely different. And the Lord is getting to the heart of the matter it, when he's talking about being pure in heart. Look at the very next verse, verse 45. Verse 45. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For, out, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. See, what's coming out of somebody's, what's, what's, what's in their heart's going to come out. Is what he's saying. That's the fruit of them. Whatever's in there is going to come out here. It's going to come out in the way that we live and the things that we do. And the way that we judge where somebody is with the Lord is, is through the fruit of their life. And so one of the great questions that we have as believers is what is the fruit of my life? What is the fruit of my life? When somebody cuts me off on traffic, you know, how do I respond? When, when somebody gets the job promotion that I wanted, I coveted that job It was mine. I've been here twice as long as them. Right? Or, or somebody, you know, you, you're dating someone, and then they get with someone else, and they get married. Right? You, hold on. This is not how it's supposed to be. Right? What, that's when the character is put to the test, is it not? Isn't that... That's, that's when the truth of who we are comes to the surface. Because look, it's, it's easy to put a smile on when everything's swell. But the reality of who you are comes out in those crucial times. That's when the reality comes out. This is why it's good to, to rub shoulders with folks. It's why, you know, I, I, I like to be able to, to, you know, get to know people, go sit with them, visit with them, talk with them, joke, because you get to know who they really are in those kinds of circumstances. Small churches are great because we go through life together. We lock arms, we rub elbows. We, we know what it's like when somebody's go, going through a bad time. You can tell the reality of who that person is. And that's what the Lord's saying. He's saying, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to come out of the life. It's amazing how we miss this so simple concept. In, in one of the sad realities you saw, he said every tree, right, bears fruit of its own kind. One of the things is, you know, you, if, if you're a banana tree, you can paint your bananas red all you want, but the reality is it's still a banana. And too many people, too many people think that they can just kind of paint their actions. But God reveals the heart. And when we get to the end of the matter, I'm going to show you that. God will reveal these issues of the heart. And it's, it, it should scare us, no matter who you are. It, it should put you in check. That's why the Lord wrote it. But as we build this in, let's go over and look at our hearts in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. This is a very foundational verse. Anytime, um, now it's going to help us here. Jeremiah uh, 17 is right after Isaiah. One of the things, though, Jeremiah here is going to, to lay down a foundational principle 
for even if you want to share the gospel with somebody, this is a great verse to tell. What, and, you know, one of the sad things about sharing the gospel in our community, you know, we're in the kind of the bottom edge of the Bible belt. Everybody in the Bible belt thinks they're saved. Everybody's a good old boy that's never meant any harm. I ain't never done nobody wrong. That's, that's what we live in. But that's not God's standard. God's standard is way different than I ain't never done nobody wrong. Okay, maybe you think that. Maybe you've justified everything you've ever done to somebody. But God has a higher justification because God is holier than you are. And our hearts will lie on us. You can justify, well, they just shouldn't have been in my spot. I mean, I, I'm living right, I'm praying right, I'm reading my Bible, but they shouldn't have been in my spot. They wouldn't have got a piece of my mind. See, we can justify it, but is our justification valid in light of what God's word says? It doesn't Because see, this is why this verse is so foundational to understanding the gospel and in here, understanding the, the motives of someone's heart. Because it doesn't matter how you justify something, it matters what it says according to God's word. Because we can, everybody has a different level of justification. <laughs> Even Jeffrey Dahmer justified killing people and eating them. Everybody's ever done anything, justified it in their own mind. So how far down the road we want to go? Until we begin to live by God's standard, we're just going to keep lying to ourselves. And the only way you can know God's standard is to know his word. You can say, oh, the Spirit's leading well, you better check that spirit leading you against the word. Amen? I'm all about the spirit leading you, but you better weigh it against God's word. I've heard a minister say, the spirit's leading me, and he proceeded to break up a marriage to marry the woman. I've heard it with my own ears. So you can say all you want to say, but does it jive with what God's word says? That's the key. And you know, one of the saddest realities or the saddest commentaries on our generation of the church world, we're probably the most biblically illiterate. We, we have shut the Bible. Let me tell you something. Uh, if, you, if, if you've got to use 15 different translations to preach a message, it's not a message God preached. It's something you made up. It, 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 it's because you, you made something up and you found 15 different things to justify it, but nobody on the history of the earth ever produced one translation of the Bible that said what you just said. So I always, and that's one of the things that kind of got me into the Bible translation issue. That's why I am where I am now. But one of the things is, is, you know, you can justify all you want, but you've got to weigh it against a standard. There's got to be a plumb line for your life. There's got to be a plumb line for your life. It can, and listen, if you're a Christian, it can't be how you feel. If the plumb line for your life is it feels right or I think the Spirit's leading me to do it or this is what my pastor said or my church allows it or this is what our denomination is, then you're in left field. 
the plumb line for our lives have to be God's word. It, it had on judgment day. You can't say pastor Kenny said, blah, 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 blah. And you're not going to stand before God and say, well, I just felt it was the right thing to do. You have to say your word said, so I believed that's where safety is. D.L. Moody said, Calvary is a burn-off. I believe God's word is a burn-off. A burn-off, if you're not familiar, was um, the, in the old days before the fire department, um, whenever there was a fire going in, in people's farms, they would, they would go ahead of it and they would burn around their property so that whenever the fire came, it would pass them by. If you've ever known that concept, it's called a burn-off. And D.O. Moody said, the wrath of God is a fire that's coming on the whole earth. And the only safety there is, is the burn-off called Calvary. God's word's the same way. God's word, you, you can hide yourself in God's word. Once you begin to live outside of what God said, it's coming. Fire's coming. Now watch this, in, 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 in Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse number nine, it says, the heart, well, I just feel in my heart, this is what I gotta do for my life. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what that means? There's no depth to the evil of a man's heart. You will justify doing anything given enough liberty. There, there's no bottom to it. Like I said earlier, even Jeffrey Dahmer justified killing people and eating them and putting them in his refrigerator. So there's no depth to the bottom of how low you'll go. Your heart, there's nothing more wicked than the heart of man. That's the only thing that's ever rejected God. Even creation longs for the return of the king. But all we want is McDonald's. Don't, and don't mess with our TV station. That's all we want in life. And God has called us to glorify him in all that we do. God's called you to a higher calling. There's a higher calling on your life than American Idol and eating a, a, a quarter pounder. There is a calling on your life to glorify God in all that you do. And when you get into that place, God will give you grace abundantly to empower you to live the way God designed you to live. God will put his hand on your life and guide you through this world. Now listen, it says that, uh, the heart is desperately, you see that? Desperately wicked? Who can know it? Well, God does. Look at the next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now, just pause real quick. The, the only person who knows you is God. You even lie to yourself. You even lie to yourself. I'm not that bad. Well, at least I'm not as bad as sister so-and-so. Come on now. 
Ain't nobody alive never not done that. Well, I know I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as them. And listen, you don't even know how bad you are. But God does. God knows every thought you've ever thunk. God knows every thought you've ever thunk. He even knows when, 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 when the whole church is worshiping and you're thinking thoughts that are you know from the pit of hell. God knows. And that should cause you to run to him, not from him. Because he knows how wicked our hearts can be and he still loves us and gives us grace and will forgive us. And not only that, but he'll purify us, we'll see. It's amazing. It's an amazing concept. This desire, this purity that, that God works in us um, it, it is something that comes from the heart. When, when God calls us to live a, a pure life, it is a call not only to an outward manifestation, but it is a call to an inward purity, an inward purity. Let me show you something um, real brief in Psalm 24. Since we're in the Old Testament, we'll go ahead and catch this one. Psalm 24 We'll go to verse number three. Now, this psalm is, um, this psalm was actually, you know, I, I referenced whenever um, Uzziah kind of steadied the ark when they were carrying it the way they weren't supposed to carry it, and it started falling. I don't know if you remember that story, but th they, were bringing the, they were bringing the ark back to the, back to the temple, and they weren't carrying it the way God told them to carry it. And whenever they did that, the ark began to fall, which tells you, you know, when you don't do things the way God told you to do it. You know. But he, he, and they were instructed not to touch it. And yet he did, and he fell dead. And so in light of that, now they're, they're trying to go again. They're getting it again. And so they've already seen this guy die. And so look, he says in, in this verse number three, he said, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? Look, if you know God is that holy, if you know God is so holy that if somebody touches the ark the wrong way, they're going to die, you're going to say, okay, who can get up there? Who, who can do it? Who can do it? Now look what he says. Verse number four, he said, he that has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully this is an image or a picture of what a pure heart is is someone who has not lifted up his soul to vanity vanity vain vain things are things of the world not things of god when you put an emphasis on the things of the world those are vain things or vanity this is a glimpse of how to keep your heart pure is keep your heart away from vain things or vain imaginations, things that aren't yours according to the hand of God. This is the best way to keep yourself in purity. It's to keep your, keep your mind and your hands off of things God didn't give you. I just want a new boat. If God didn't give it to you, don't put your heart on it. 
It's the best way to keep yourself out of vanity. And that's what he's saying. It's, you know what? It, it goes straight back to what the Apostle Paul taught us in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, about finding holy contentment. Being content with the things that God has given you will produce in you this pure heart where you don't need the things that the world has because God's going to take care of his own children. Philippians 4, verse 13 is one of the most quoted scriptures in the church world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they forget the context of the verse. The only way you can do it is when you find you're perfectly content with nothing but him. When you find that you don't need anything from anybody so long as you have Jesus. Verse 13 comes after verse 12. I know that's rocket science to us today. The common core math, we're like, what? But you look at what Paul said in verses 11 and 12. He talked about, I, you know what? I figured out. I, it's not whenever I have and whenever I have not, I'm fine either way. Because I've got God. I have found this place of being content with just me and Jesus. found this place where, Lord, if everybody else turns away from you, if everybody else spits on me, if everybody else turns away from me, if I become a reproach to men, God, so long as you smile on me, I'm fine. I don't care if, if I'm wealthy or if I become a beggar. I'm yours and you're mine and I know you'll take care of me. I know you'll take care of me, and I know you'll call me home when the time's right. This is finding contentment in God. And, in, and, and look, in light of that, then Paul says, now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because Christ strengthens us when we've been made weak. Don't you remember that in 2 Corinthians 13? God strengthens us when we've been made weak. Remember when he asked God to take out that thorn of the flesh and God wouldn't do it because it made Paul weak? And he said he perfected his strength in Paul's weakness. It's when we're dependent on God and weak or humbled that we say, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Sometimes you wonder why. Lord, why am I like this? Why am I like this? And the whole time you're wondering why you're like this, God has put on you a thing to make you dependent on him. Paul prayed, Lord, deliver me from this thorn of the flesh. And God said, no. No, it's there. It's there to make you weak so that I can be strong in you. God's getting glory out of it. God's getting glory out of it. Now, Let me take you, now we're talking about purity and holiness. We want to establish a couple of things about that real quick. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Um, this verse, I think we've hit on this verse a few Sunday nights in a row. Hebrews chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 14. Th this is one of those things that... 
it goes to holiness. Holiness is the absence of defilement, just where we see impurity. What it says in verse number 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, this purity and holiness is kind of intertwined there. The, the, the purity and the holiness both work in conjunction. And listen, if you are not living a holy life or if you're not living a pure life, you won't see God. Sometimes you wonder why other people, you, you, how many, you, I mean, I remember times in my life when I'm like, you know, how are they all the time getting stuff out of the word? I, I read and I get nothing. Or, 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 you know, when is God gonna move in my life? You know, and all the time God was waiting on me to stop being foolish, to stop living a mixed life, to separate myself unto holiness. And once that happened, God, his, you know, as he says in Isaiah, my arm's not short. God don't have short arms. He's not a Tyrannosaurus Rex. He don't have short arms. God's hand's not short. He can reach down from heaven and give you of himself even tonight if you would be so bold to walk out of the world system. Leave it behind and dedicate and consecrate yourself unto God. He will freely give himself to you if you will give yourself to him. You've been called to be set apart. I heard a minister talk about holiness one time. He said, this is how you know when you know what holiness is. He said, if, if somebody sets before you a choice between holiness and your last meal, you choose holiness. Or, or, or if you're dying of thirst, no water, and somebody sets before you holiness and a cup of water, before you die, you choose to keep your holiness. That's when you know how valuable it is. That's when you know you're cultivating it in your life. When you know that, it, that holiness is that essential, that with, listen, without it, no man will see God. How important is holiness, and yet, how often is it preached? Huh. How often is it preached? A couple of things, a couple of points I want to make, and, and, and we're going to go forward. Uh, um, one of the things about holiness is we can get contaminated by the things of the world. Uh, for, we're in the New Testament. Just go a few pages over to 1 John uh, chapter number 2. Let me show you something here. 1 John chapter number 2 in verse number 15. sometimes people are like well you know God made it why can't I have it well you got to weigh whatever you're saying in light of scripture it says in verse number 15 love not the world listen to this neither the things that are in the world I'm believing for a new bass boat I've been at a church one time where everybody wrote on a card what they're believing for that year. 
you should have, it made me sick. I didn't do it anymore after that because I was the one praying for it all. It made me sick. To, it, how many people pray for souls versus how many people pray for stuff? It's sad. It's sad. And yet some, some of us, our whole faith life is wrapped up in what we can get in an earthly means. God's not blessing my life. I don't have a new bass boat like brother so-and-so. God, go back and read what a blessed life is in the Beatitudes and, and then evaluate brother so-and-so's life. Because first of all, you shouldn't be watching their life anyways. You should be keeping your eyes on the Lord. How many of you are like, I got enough issues with me. I don't really need to be worried about nobody else's issues. I, you know what? It's, it'd be better if I just spend time me and the Lord at an altar for a few weeks before I start talking about somebody else. Because there's some stuff God needs to work out in us. But yet, we're going to be like a Pharisee in somebody else's life. Yeah, they should have done this and they should have done that. God's never called us to do that. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That'll put you in check. Next time you do some stuff like that, that'll put you in check, won't it? It there's a major problem if that's all that, whenever somebody talks about I'm believing for or, I, you know, what are you confessing for, what are you doing? If, if it's all wrapped up in those things, that's a major red flag that we're not right. How many of you know the, the, that God is not a genie? Amen. You don't get to rub God and he gives you whatever you want. And if, if, if you want to know the truth, that is the reality of the name it, claim it thing. Name it, claim it is rub the genie, get what you want. God is God. He's the potter. We are the clay. Our generation has it backwards. We believe we're the potter. We can create a new pot by the words we speak. Oh, yeah, you're going to dig your own grave by doing that because he's the potter. You're supposed to be the clay in his hands. And when you don't think that, you've shown that you're not pliable. You know what pliable means, right? I know we live in that kind of generation, but it's the, you're, you're not workable. Yeah, you're not like Play-Doh. You're like a brick instead of Play-Doh. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who, but somebody used to tell me I was dumb as a, you dumb as a brick, right? <laughs> Don't be dumb as a brick when it comes to God. Don't be like that. Be Play-Doh in his hands. That's a good illustration. So, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... Uh, hey, we're, we're not Calvinists, are we? Y'all know all means all, right? Amen. 
we don't have to go to the Greek to understand all means all. Because the Bible says all, so we just know. Hey, that's what that means. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, the lust thereof, but listen to this, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So we have to take this verse and say, okay, do I do God's will or do I live for the things of the world? And from that will determine where your heart is with God. A pure heart will determine and be determined. How many of you know what tenacity means? Tenacity is when a, you know, if you play, uh, you play tug of war with a dog, sometimes that dog won't let go. It's a tenacious grip it puts on it. And that kind of tenacity is what God's looking for, a determined, a determined heart. I will do what pleases and honors God at all times in every way. I will not live a defiled and mixed life anymore. I am wholly and completely giving myself to God from this moment forevermore. I am no longer my own, but I belong to him. This is the only way Paul could ever have said what he did in Galatians 2, that he was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It is a determination that is not about me anymore. And you know our generation has me-itis. I'm offended. I'm this. It's all about me. You made me feel like this. You made me feel like that. Well, how have we made God feel? Have we ever thought about that? Have we ever thought about offending God? Have we ever thought about maybe the things that we do are displeasing to God? This is how you begin to change. This is how you begin to come out of that mixture and into purity. Considering the way that you live, considering the way that you are in God's eyes, just turning that thing around. Instead of worrying about who's offending you, or maybe if I say that, I'm going to offend them. Look, if it's true, say the truth. Especially if you're a person of God, don't ever be ashamed for speaking the truth. But the thing is, is it, 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 it's this generation where we're always worried about offending somebody and nobody's worried about are we offending God? Look at sodomy. Look at, look at that. That's an abomination in God's eyes. That's homosexuality. Look at that. Well, I don't want to say anything about it because I don't want to offend nobody. But, you know, I mean, I know it's not right, but I don't want to offend anybody. But they are offending God. You are choosing to respect them over God. See, it, it, it goes into this place of, of not being mixed up, being pure before God, letting God move you, letting God determine what's right for me. 
letting God determine my life. Look at that verse, that last verse. It says, the world passes away, passes away. This world is going to be no more one day. God is going to destroy this world by fire and make a new heaven and a new earth. And only the holy children of God will remain. This world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that not knows what the will of God is, but doeth, doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, there's a difference between knowing the right thing and doing it. I can preach on that right now. There's a way big difference between knowing the right thing and doing it. And too many people in these things right here know. They know what's right and wrong, but they won't say it. And, and that goes in our lives too. Because there's situations, and look, it's, it's not easy to stand in a pulpit and say, this is what God says. It's not easy because people get mad. People get mad at me because I've quoted what Jesus said before. Amen. But it, it, people will get mad when you say those things. But you know what? I would rather please God. Amen. Who, would, who, who do you want to live for, men or God? Because men will never be satisfied with you. But don't you want on that one day to hear, good job, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want the smile of Jesus who gave his life for you to turn around and tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Because the only other option, there's not a middle ground. There's not a, you tried, you should have done better. If you look back at that story, it was either, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. There's no third category. I always say this, God, there's no gray area. It's black or white. It's holy or unholy. It's of God or it's not. My, my, one, of my, one of my jobs I did one time, you know, I played, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Um, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 real quick. But one time I, uh, I used to play baseball, and I wasn't all that great. And I kind of, I got to the point where I couldn't play anymore because it wasn't any good anymore. And I started umpiring then. I never made it to college level. So I started umpiring baseball games. And, you know, one of the things they taught us, if you've ever been to a Little League baseball game, you know this. When the umpire, if the umpire pauses, you're going to get this set of parents or that set of parents screaming at you, no matter what you do. So you've got to make a determination instantly, and you've got to hang on to it. When, when the ball's coming down, it's either in the strike zone or out of the strike zone, and if you hesitate, you've blown it either way. But if it's in, it's in. If it's out, it's out. And, and, and you know, whenever I, whenever I was doing that, God told me it's the same way with his word. It's either, it's either in line with his word or it's not. 
There's no gray area. There's no, it's half a ball and half a strike. Well, I can get drunk when I want to get drunk, but I don't get as drunk as sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. Well, I, I mean, I know we're, we're living together, we're sleeping together, but we're going to get married, you know, in a few years. God knows our heart. That should scare you. That should scare you. There's no half ball and half strike. There's no half holy and half not holy. It's either of God or it's not. It's either in line with what God said or it's not. Now read, first, did I tell you 1 Corinthians chapter 4? Okay. Look at verse number 4. Because Paul, Paul here is telling them about judging and they're making all these judgments because the Corinthian church was kind of messed up. He's going to let them know something here. He said, I know, for I know nothing by myself. And what he means by that is he's judging everything by the word of God, not himself. So I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. It doesn't say judge nothing. It says judge nothing before the time. So understand the context. Listen to this. Until the Lord come. Now what's he going to do? What's the Lord going to do when he comes? Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. You know what God's going to do when he comes back? He's going to bring to light everything that anybody's ever tried to hide. If you haven't put it under the blood, you better do it now. If you haven't received forgiveness from God by the blood of Jesus Christ now, you better do it. Don't let those things hide in those deep, dark recesses. Give those things to God. He's the only one who can do anything with them. If you hold on to it, it's going to cause you to go into a dark place or to get bitter. If you were here Sunday night, you know you don't want to get bitter. Amen. One of the things that you want to do is give those things to God because when he comes back, he's going to expose every dark thing and he's going to expose every person's heart. Can you imagine if we were sitting here and and the thoughts on our hearts were just projected on the screen. Now, I haven't told you this yet, but you know, whenever the Lord's talking about your heart, he's not talking about your bum, bum, ba bum, ba bum. Your heart is who you are. The heart of a person is who you are. And, and when you think and dwell on evil thoughts, those things need to be forgiven. You've got to take those things to God. You've got to get them off of you. They will weigh you down. When, when, the, when the enemy knows that you, that you won't take those things to, to the Lord, he will begin to bring condemnation in your life. He'll say, see, you're a dirty, rotten old sinner. You got no business going to that church. The, the devil will bring all kinds of condemnation into your life if you keep anything back from God. But if you will choose to live a pure life in God's eyes, where you're an open and shut case, just, God, here I am. Here's all of me. I'm not going to withhold anything from you anymore. 
If a bad thought comes my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what it says in Corinthians. I'm going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to say, God, I didn't think that. I reject it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just immediately, learn to immediately do that. That way the enemy doesn't bring you into a place of condemnation. Too many Christians today are living condemned lives. That's why they won't step into this place of holiness without which no man will see the Lord. It's because they've learned, right? Well, I'm not right, so I better not go to church. I better not do this. Anytime you ever try to read the Bible, if you go home and you try to read the Bible, the devil will tell you, you're not worthy. Why even try? You're not where you need to be. It's a lie. It's condemnation. If you're not where you need to be, then you need to be on your knees. And get on your knees and confess whatever it is to God. Sometimes you may not even know. Sometimes you're like, God, I don't know what the deal is. Whatever it is, God, that's between us, I just want it out of my life right now. I just want to be pure in your eyes, Lord. And get into that place where no matter what it is, you don't, you don't allow condemnation to keep you back from God. Because listen, God purchased your soul with his own blood. He paid the highest price possible for you. Don't withhold yourself from him. He gave it all for you. So give it all to him. A pure life is an amazing thing. It's, um, I have a lot more I want to get in on this. Um, one of my favorite ways of worship, it's an old, uh, I learned this whenever I first got saved, the pastor did, he, he, he was worshiping like this open palm, and he said that the open palm was one of the ways that um, some of the Jews would worship. He said it was, um, it was representative of a couple of things. Number one is, I'm not holding anything back. If you have an open palm in worship, you're not holding anything back. It's God, here I am in all my glory. This is me, God. This is me. And it also is a sign of weakness because when you're open palmed like that, you, 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 you're at a place of surrender. And that's an amazing place of worship. And that is a representation of how God wants us to live our lives. And this is when, you're li when, you, when your heart's pure before God. It doesn't matter what you do, you're, you're right there. God, this is what I did. I'm sorry, Lord. You, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this lifestyle anymore. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to think like this. I don't want to do this, God. I know it hurts your heart, and I'm sorry, Lord. This is the only way you can find healing is to bring it to the only one who can heal you and forgive you. Stop letting the devil bring condemnation on you. God's the one that can heal you. God's the one that can deliver you. God's the one that can clean you and cleanse you. Now, let me show you something in, um, let's, uh, do we have time to go to three? Y'all got time for three? Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is, is, is a, uh, good, a good passage because um, this, was, this was actually the birth of the epistles that we read. Because um, in Acts chapter 15, the disciples got together and they said, well, God's doing something in those, you know, those dogs, the Gentiles, and we're going to send them a letter to tell them how to do, how to live. And look what he says, um, over in Acts chapter 15, look at 
verse number, look at verse number eight. It says, God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by works. Oh, no, no, that's not what it says, is it? He said he purified their hearts by faith. And see, this is something I want to get into, you know, on this, on this part of it is because every single person that's ever lived has had their heart defiled at some point in time. We read Jeremiah 17, I know. So everybody's thought unholy things. Everybody's done ungodly issues. And, and the reality of the matter is the only way you can find purity is by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the blood. Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, though our sins were as scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. Speaking of the blood of Jesus, making us white as snow. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not faith in yourself. Not faith in, well, I'm just, I, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. That, okay, that's, that's how we're supposed to respond to being purified. We're purified by faith. And when we're walking in our purity, that's when we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. But the first step is getting pure. And the only way any person that's ever lived and every person that's ever lived is a sinner. And the only way that any person that's ever lived has ever received a pure heart is by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood that flowed down on Calvary is the only thing that can purify your heart. And so in light of that, understand this is how every single one of us are called to live at Calvary. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is when you've given yourself to God and you don't get off the altar. You know, it's easy to sacrifice something one time. And this is where a lot of people miss it. It's easy to sacrifice something one time because it's once and it's over. But God has called you to live as a living sacrifice. That means continually continually gutting yourself of self and giving yourself to God, continually keeping yourself on that altar. This is why people that have Sunday religion are missing it. God has not called you to be one way on Sunday and a different way on Monday. God's called you to live a pure life all the days of your life, a living sacrifice. Do you want to walk in that purity? You want to walk in that purity? Go to James chapter 4. Let me show you something here. James chapter 4. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. James 4. I'm talking about purity and, and, and how to get it over in that. James is right after Hebrews. How many of you, you know, it, 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 it's an amazing thing because the 
the devil, whenever somebody's not right with God or we're, we've been defiled or we've done something wrong, we allow that condemnation to, to get in there. One, one way that you know who's speaking to you is because condemnation comes from the devil and conviction comes from God. Conviction says you're not right, you better get to the altar. Condemnation says you're not right, move away from God. Don't pray. Don't read your Bible. Don't go to church. You know you're not where you should be. You don't even belong doing that, going there. That's condemnation. Everybody's, everybody that's ever lived has felt it. Everybody that's ever lived has felt, you know, well, I'm not where I need to be. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit is pulling you to the cross. That's the only place where you can find forgiveness of your sins. It's the only place where you can find purity in heart. It's the only place where God will renew you. It's the only place where God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's the only place where you will find where God has created you to be. Now, what, look what it says in verse number seven. It's James chapter four in, in verse number seven. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Before you do anything, you better give yourself to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. So before you're, the, the seven sons of Sceva found that out the hard way. It, it, how many of y'all remember the seven sons of Sceva? They, they began casting out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And those demons in that guy said, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then they jumped on, that, on those sons of Sceva. You know what? It, when, when you begin to, you know, try to get your life right, you better start out with submitting to God. Give yourself to God. Then, then resist the devil and he'll flee. Before you submit to God, you got no authority, you've got no power. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Do you hear the conviction there? Do you hear the Holy Spirit pulling you in? That, that's, how, that's the hand of God. Do you hear the Holy Spirit just pulling you? Draw near to God, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. you. You come at God, God's going to welcome you just like that prodigal's father was waiting on that front porch. You draw near to God, and, the, and God will draw nigh to you. He will envelop you with his arms. He will receive you. And look what it says. Look, look at this next part. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, there's a, the, the, the purifying the hearts, I wanted to get in on this. The, the purifying of the hearts is a call that, that we've been given as children of God, and it goes right to a double mind. It goes right to living one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. It goes right to saying the right thing, but thinking the wrong thing. Well, I know I should do this, but I just got to do this. Or I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. 
That double-mindedness, that double-mindedness will cause you to not grow in God. It'll keep you in a place, it'll keep you in a place where you're not growing. And, and, and every Christian that's ever lived has experienced this or God wouldn't have wrote it. Everybody gets double-minded time to time. But the, but the key is to not stay there. The key is when you realize, you know what, I'm not growing like I should be. And once, you, once it dawns on you, I'm not where I should be, then the Lord will remind you, hey, you know how you can memorize every person that's ever won every season of American Idol, but you can't name any prophet of God from the Old Testament? That's how you know you got a double mind. That's how you know you've invested yourself fully in the world and not in God. I remember, you know, whenever I was growing up, my favorite baseball team, I knew not only that I know every person on the team, I knew where they went to college, I knew their batting averages for the last 10 years, I knew, you know, I knew all the people in this one and that one and that, but you would have asked me, where's Habakkuk in the Bible? I would have looked at you like Habakkuk who? Because that's where my mind was. Amen. And the reality is that's where a lot of people, and I'm, I'm just using myself as an example, but a lot of us, we have so much of the world in our heads that we're going to have to, get, you know, pop it like a balloon, let it get deflated so that we can get some God in there. We're, we're too full of the world. We're too full of the world. You know, you, you start talking about the Lord with some people and their eyes start rolling in the back of their head. They start going to sleep. They're, they're too full of the world's excitement that when you start talking about holy things, they're bored out of their mind. But it's when we come to the end of ourselves and we empty ourselves of the world that God becomes fascinating to us. A soul that knows he was dangling over hell and but for the grace and mercy of God at Calvary, God saved you. When you get that kind of a vision, God will fascinate your heart from now till the day he calls you home. But until then, until you realize, until you realize what all happened and who you were and where you were going and how beautiful God is and how he didn't have to do what he did, but he did it and how he did it, once you get into that, it'll captivate your heart. It'll melt your heart. You wake up, you'll eat, sleep, and drink Jesus. You wake up, instead of wanting Wheaties, you'll be wanting Jesus. You'll be excited to get into the Word of God. Excited to read. Excited to come to Bible study. Now, let me, let me um, one of my favorite verses, I, I got to take you over here to Proverbs 4 as I close. Proverbs 4. I, did I tell you to get, did I ask you for three more verses? And this, I think, is my third one. I hope. Proverbs 4. We'll close here. One of the things that I wanted to get in, I have not gotten like half of my notes. But one of the things that I wanted to get in about holiness and purity is there's a couple of things I want to get in, okay? Um, 
Purity comes from the heart, just like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8. Comes from the heart. Purity comes from the heart. Pharisees were expertise on purity of the outward. They were flunkies of the inward. They washed their hands 80 times on the outside so that everybody, everywhere knew, everywhere they went, they were holy, they were the priest, they washed their hands everywhere they went. So it just looked obnoxiously like I am keeping myself from every kind of dirt. But yet inwardly, Jesus said they were ravening wolves. They were eating people alive on the inside. They were thinking ungodly thoughts. You ever wonder about the woman that was caught in adultery? They threw her at the feet of Jesus. Remember when he was drawing on the ground with his finger? They said that they caught her in the act of adultery, but they didn't bring the guy. Ever wonder how they caught her, but they didn't bring the guy? Makes you wonder. See, Jesus called them ravening wolves because they weren't right on the inside, but they had the outward show. Don't look to your left or to your right. Look at yourself. That's where growth starts. God's not called you to help. You know, when I, I remember, I'll, I, I like to pick on myself. That way I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Because if I'm going to hurt feelings, I want it to be the word of God hurting your feelings. So. Um, but I remember whenever I first got saved and filled with the Spirit, I would, you know, the pastor would be preaching, and he'd be preaching about, you know, integrity or gossiping or something like this and I'd be like oh I wish so and so was here they need to hear that sermon oh that one was tailor made for them man I wish they were here for that the whole time that pastor was preaching I was running in my mind every person that you know oh my my aunt needs to hear that one my cousin needs to hear that one oh my neighbor oh he needs that one And not one time was I allowing that to hit home in me. Where was the Lord if there's anything unclean in me, God, show me. I was too busy. I was too busy listening so I could try to poke somebody else in the eye. Ooh, they need that. Ooh. When God was trying to poke me in the eye. Amen? Amen. You see, that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's why the Lord said that on, on the outward, they were white-wadded sepulchers. They were, they were beautiful on the outside, but they were full of dead men's bones. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't put on the church smile, but have evil in your heart. Be pure in heart. Be pure in heart. Then God will show you himself. Here's one of the ways that you know somebody's has a pure heart okay a pure heart has integrity a pure heart is someone you don't have to worry what they're going to do given a compromising situation if your spouse has a pure heart if your spouse has a pure heart you don't have to worry about what they're looking at on the computer or where they go If the heart's pure, if the heart's not pure, there's always going to be that question. There's always going to be that question. And a lot of times, if our heart's not pure, we project that on others. 
because we're not right. We know what we do in this situation, so we think they're going to do the same thing. The reality is they're not as rotten as you. So one of the things is, you know, about a pure heart is a, a pure heart will do the right thing even in compromising situations. Even if, even if you were on your computer and something popped up you shouldn't be looking at or you heard some gossip you shouldn't have heard, how quickly do you leave the conversation or do you entertain it? You know that for gossip, which is not of God, to exist, there has to be an ear. So if you know somebody's a gossip and you're like, every time I talk, I just know they're going to be running folks down. And then you leave and you're like, every time I talk to that person, I feel worse than the time I got there. I feel so much worse after I talk. And every time it's like that, listen, they're a gossip. And the only way it can exist is because you give them an ear. Your ear is gasoline. Their mouth is the fire. But purity, purity is when that's going on, you say, that's not for me. Whatever it is, a pure heart will leave a compromising situation. Okay, Proverbs 4.23 in closing. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, keep thy, everybody say thy. That means your. Okay, King James T is talking about singular. So your responsibility is not to keep somebody else's heart. Your responsibility is to keep yours, thy. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What you put in is what you get out. You can go to church on Sunday and then watch all kinds of ungodly stuff on TV. You know what you're going to be? Mixed. Mixed. And you remember the definition for pure? Not mixed. You can say all you want to say on Sunday. You can even, you know, you can sing. You can preach. You can teach. You can do it all. You can tap dance. Square dance, whatever you want to do. You can jump over pews. And then you can go home and watch things or do things that aren't right with God. And you know what you are? You're mixed. And eventually, when you allow that mixture in, it's going to come out. It's going to manifest. God said to guard your heart. That means... You shouldn't have somebody standing over your shoulder saying, now, should you be watching that? Should you be talking like that? Should you be going there? Because you're called. God said, keep thy heart. You are called to guard your own heart. Because God said, out of your heart, proceed the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you put in is going to come out. You watch TV shows with all they do is sleep around or curse. Guess what? It's going to come out. It will manifest. It will manifest. 
Whatever you put in your heart will come out. That's what the Lord's saying here. This is why it's so important to keep your heart right with God. Keep it in the hands of the Lord. Remember what we said in, 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 in Acts 15, verse 9. Their hearts were purified by faith. Keep your heart at the altar of God. Let God cleanse it, and God will show himself to you. This is why so many people don't see God in their life. I just feel like I'm going through the motions. I'm doing this, doing it. If you're pure, you'll see God. You'll see God. John Wesley, his commentary on this passage, Matthew 5, 8, that's what he said. He said, this is why so many people don't see God in their life. How's that for somebody that lived 300 years ago? This is why so many people don't see God in their life. It's because they're not pure. Make that determination. Make that determination to live a life like this, open-palmed before you and God, and God will work the rest out. Amen? Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, we just pray, God, I just want to take a time right now just to pray. If any person here, if your heart's not right before God, if there's some guilt or sin that you need cleansed, you need it cleansed. It's too much for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand with everybody, every head bowed, every eye closed? I know this is a weighty topic, so I want to pray for you.